But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from the ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand the shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the flame of the Lord, or the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be the great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Amen. Master. Good morning. I wonder if you've had occasion in your life to ask this question, what in the world is God doing? Normally we ask this question when uh, we are weighed down when life is difficult, when we experience loss. You know, the whole book of Job is sort of about this question, what in the world is God doing? Because it was a life of, uh, well, unbelievable loss. Maybe you've experienced some loss in your life. If you haven't, you must be very young. Uh, life gets on your back. And we all live uh, dying. What in the world is God doing? We can ask this question, philosophers can ask this question. They sometimes use this question to try to deny the fact that there is a God. I mean, just look around at the suffering and the evil. Of course, we have no idea what evil is except that it's against goodness, which is sourced in God, but how can something against God exist even in the first place? Why would, why would God allow things to be against him? Allow even us to go against him? What in the world is God doing? Well, the Bible is an answer to that question. The whole Bible is an answer to that question. In fact, the Bible is the story of what God is doing. What he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. It is in the Bible that we read that the Son of God is the one who carries history from its beginning to its conclusion in him. He's the source of it all. 
He's the conclusion of it all, and he's the one who brings it from the beginning to the end. It is, in fact, a story of him, the Son of God, and he is the answer to the question, what in the world is God doing? That song Mariella sang was so good, so fitting. What is he doing? The answer to that question is the good news. You see, the world which God made, the story which God is telling, he is the author of history, history on the grand scale of nations and kings and rises and falls of societies. He's the author of that history, and he's the author of your history. The one that you sometimes think doesn't really matter. And sometimes it's your personal history that you think is the biggest deal on earth when really it's no big deal. But he's writing it. And if you are his child, your story is the story of the good news. The story in which Christ sacrifices his own life as a substitute for yours, reconciling you to the living God whom you have offended beyond your imagination. And yet in Christ, you become his beloved child. The good news. That's the story. That's the story of your life. I love the way that song put it. I believe your word. I believe what you say. And here in this church, we believe what God says, whatever else anything else might indicate to us. If God gives his word, we believe it to be true, and we rely on it individually, personally, and together as the body of Christ. When God answers the question, what in the world is God doing? We believe what he says. Now, we've been going through this series with God We Live that we call a quick start guide to the Christian life at International Bible Church. And this is intended to be an overview. We started with what we believe, what we well, our theology, what we believe the scripture teaches. And those beliefs result in a certain set of values, which we've been talking about up until now. A certain set of values that we have printed in our bulletin every week. We live with God. We live with God. We live with God. We regard God himself to be the prize of life not something else that God provides. 
I sometimes say if I receive some good fortune, you know, maybe I get a big giant donation to the building fund. And I say, what a blessing. And I'm not wrong because every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights and it is a blessing to have any good fortune. If you go to the doctor and he gives you some medicine and you get well, blessing. I don't know if you know this, but God invented all of the chemistry upon which medicine is based. And so if the doctor can give you something which makes you well, God gets the credit. And that is in fact a blessing. But none of those things are the blessing. And sometimes we can be distracted from the blessing by a blessing. Sometimes we think what God is good for is what God gives that's other than God. That what God is good for is good health or a nice family or a successful career or a blah, 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 blah. But the thing God gives you that is the prize is himself. Himself. And compared to that prize, all the other blessings are barely detectable. If God gave you a million dollars tomorrow, compared to the prize of himself, it's the same as if he gave you a nickel. The prize of the gospel is fellowship with the living God. Now today, we've come to the point of mission. That's why we're asking the question, what is God doing? We've come to the point of mission in our discussion. We've moved from belief to values to, therefore, what is the mission of the body of Christ, the church? What in the world is God doing? And the thing about our mission is that it's not our mission. In uh, the theology world, we like to, you know, say things in Latin, and uh, we like to say things with giant big words. That way we look smart compared to everyone. And we hope that means you'll keep paying attention to what we say because we sound like we know what we're talking about. But in theology, there's a term for this. It's called missio dei, the mission of God. God is the missionary. God is the first missionary. God is the missionary upon which all the mission work ever done is based. In fact, all of our mission is only our participation in his. God is on a mission from the beginning. He announced it when he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And when he said to those people, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What are they filling the earth with? 
his image. He's on a mission. And they, of course, collapsed. This was all in the story he's telling. It didn't surprise him that day when Adam and Eve sinned. They said, okay, right on time. They sinned, and he is on a mission to bring fellowship with him back to humanity in his son. And so his son is born. Oh, my gosh. What? Bob uh, noticed our sign, Jesus is born. That's not just a Merry Christmas. That's not just a happy holidays to you and yours greeting. It is the declaration of the single greatest thing that has ever happened. Jesus is born. Jesus is not just the Son of God. He's born. It is the greatest possibility. In fact, no one would have imagined it possible if it had not happened. The very Son of God, the eternal God, the creator of all things, is born. One of us. <laughs> God is on a mission. And the Son of God did not come here for, you know, the simple happiness of a baby arriving, which is often how many people celebrate his birth. Oh, it's such a lovely story. The stars are glittering and the baby's born. It's always happy when a baby's born. This baby is born to be the hero of history. To live a life that the king of kings does not deserve to live. He should not have been born. But he was. He was. The scripture says he emptied himself to become a man. <laughs> Yet he did. The king of kings and lord of lords, the president of the universe from eternity past to eternity future, that one, the great almighty God, became like me. Oh, I hope I never... I, how could anyone get over that? It's the most amazing thing. It is the good news. <laughs> it was such good news that although in the plan of God, this is supposed to be extremely subtle. I mean, think about who's, who his mother is who his adoptive father is, these are not famous celebrities or kings or queens or presidents or potentates. These are really ordinary people. And let's think about the announcement. <laughs> 
God's plan is humble of humble. This child is born into a situation in which there is no place to lay him down except a feed box. I imagine there was an argument in heaven. Not really, but let's imagine. Because I imagine the angel saying, he deserves better. I mean, come on, Father, Lord, he's not their father. God, Almighty, Holy One. Come on. Let us shout and sing and announce this amazing good grace that you are showering on these people. And the Lord says, well, you're right, sort of. So these guys, go shout it to them. <laughs> who, was, who were those guys? Uh, well, shepherds. Now, when we think of the Christmas story, we think, oh, the shepherds laying on the hillside, you know, warm and cozy around their campfire. And, oh, isn't it lovely? No. Shepherds are not lovely. Shepherds stink. Shepherds are poor, lowly people, humble people. It's as though the Lord says, wow, I better not go there. If I pick out a profession, I'm going to hear something. I don't know who you think is in the low position in society in terms of the work they do. But if we were first century Israelites, it would be shepherds. And so the Lord's announcement is to a bunch of people who don't deserve it. Not the king. The king hears it from, much later, by the way, from a group of people who come from another country, and the king doesn't know anything about it. They have to tell him. And then, of course, he's not that happy. Doesn't prefer, he doesn't like to hear about rival kings. But this talk is supposed to be about the mission of the church. Because we're in a series about what it is, what is the Christian life here in this church. And God is on a mission, and his mission is the good news. So we have this statement. The mission of the church is encapsulated in the word news. In the word news. God's good news, what do you do with good news? What's it for? Well, it's to be clearly understood. Wait, what? 
This is our first re reaction when we get good news, right? Someone says, hey, good news. We say, wait, what? What exactly? I won how much? It's to be clearly understood. Then, it's to be joyfully celebrated. The second thing you do after it's clearly understood is some sort of little jig around your living room. Some little dance, some little... You can see this at every sporting event because every sporting event is at any given moment, good news for one side and bad news for the other side. And so on one side, you, you see the nature of the reaction to good news, and on the other side, you see the nature of the reaction to anxiety, worry, trouble, bad news. And on the good news side, people are jumping up and down, shouting, clapping their hands, singing even. How funny it is that outside of the United, this isn't really true in the United States, but everywhere else in the world, teams have songs. And the fans sing the songs, especially when the team wins. When the team wins, they're singing the song all the way back to their house. And maybe for a few hours afterwards. We sing the song we clap our hands, we jump up and down, we shout. This is how people respond to good news. Good news is to be celebrated. Good news is to be fully trusted. Oh, and the last thing you do with good news is you enthusiastically share it. This is what we do for each other and anyone who happens to be around us. Jesus came and said to them, Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. <clears throat> it's interesting that word go, because in the original language, the word is really going. It's what we call a participle. The main commandment in this sentence, this commandment from Jesus, is make disciples. So it's like this, going into all the world, make disciples. You see, going is an assumption in this sentence. Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be going any which place. Wherever you happen to find yourself, make disciples. That's what the going is about. Some Christians like to teach that the mission is going. No, the mission is making disciples. But there's going that happens. <clears throat> he says, go therefore 
in in Mark, go therefore into all the world, take the gospel anywhere. If you go, the good news goes. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here we are at the end of the earth. We are sitting right now this morning at the end of the earth. It would be hard to get much farther away from Jerusalem than we are. And yet the gospel is here because people with the gospel came here. And wherever they went, they understood, celebrated, trusted, and shared good news. Because what else could they do? I mean, you can't do it if you have good news. You do these things. No one has to say, hey, you should clearly understand how good this is. No one has to tell you to do that. You just do it. And if the good news is in this book, and I can read it, I am going to read it. I'm going to want to understand it even deeper, because this good news is deep. And I can understand it like this, or I can understand it deeply. And the deeper I understand it, the more happy dancing I do, the more I joyfully celebrate it. And the more I joyfully celebrate it, the more fully I trust it. I rely on it. And the more enthusiastically I share it. This is what we do. (laughs) You can't help it. Now, the nature of this ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. We We engage in a ministry of reconciliation. If you ask the question, what is the gospel, and you want a one word answer, the answer is reconciliation. That is the good news. It is a restored relationship to God Almighty. In spite of how you have treated him, he will graciously receive you into his fellowship on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. He will happily spend time with you whenever you want. You can pray. crazy, but you can pray because of what Christ did, not because there's something great about you that God appreciates. He appreciates your faith, which is you trusting something other than you. He appreciates the work of his son, and in that you are reconciled to him. And so, the Spirit, his, he sent His very Spirit into your heart, the, one, the Spirit that cries out, Abba, Abba. 
That should not be. That is crazy good. You have no right to expect that at all. And yet, he has simply poured it out on you in his loving grace. And so, we are reconciled, as it says in 2 Corinthians, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God will take you back. He should not. He really shouldn't. But he will. Because in his great plan, his plan to display his glorious grace, he sent his only son, Jesus, is born. And Jesus lives in perfect righteousness, the life you owe God, but do not live. He lived and then gave it payment for your sin and for mine. So God credits you. He gets out his books and he credits to you the very righteous life of Jesus. And so reconciles you to himself. Shouldn't be, but it is. This is why we say it's good news. The good news is the ministry of recon reconciliation. And that is what we do. We're the reconciled, reconciling people. We should be exhibiting the love we have experienced in Christ. Not holding sin against Okay, now it's getting hard. I mean, if you sin against me. You know, because that's true about me, I'm that guy in the parable. You remember the parable? The parable where the guy owes the king like a million dollars. And the king drags him in, and he says, okay, I'm throwing you in prison. You owe me a million dollars. And he begs and pleads and cries and moans and says, oh, please, please, please. And the king says, all right, I'll forgive your debt. I don't need your money. And that guy, having been forgiven by the king, goes out, and he's walking down the sidewalk, whistling a happy tune because he's been forgiven. And he comes across a guy who owes him 50 cents. And he grabs the guy by the collar and he says, hey, pay me my money or I'm going to have you thrown in prison. That's me. That's me. I have not so great an appreciation for what God has given to me. 
and I demand that you do right by me. Jesus said, don't be that guy. What we are doing in the church is we are learning not to be that guy. Jesus says, you know what happened to that guy? The king came back on him. Now, when we're reconciled to God, God doesn't come back on us, ever. The point is, having been forgiven, you should be forgiving. The natural thing, the right thing, if I experience grace, is to dispense grace. That's our mission. That's our mission. And this is not just about what we say. We are busy announcing the good news. We should be announcing the good news. We should be demonstrating it. And that means when someone does you wrong, that's when you really get to demonstrate it. If people do right by you, you don't have much chance to demonstrate the good news. But when they do wrong, you do. How can that even be done? It's only one way. Clearly understanding, joyfully celebrating, really trusting, and enthusiastically sharing the good news of being reconciled to God myself. If I know the love of God, you know it's really hard to complain after a time of focus on the goodness of God's grace to me. The ministry of reconciliation involves building real friendships and communicating the message. We are his witnesses, according to Acts 1.8, which we read. We have experienced the joy of salvation through faith in Christ, so we are in a position to testify to the goodness of God's grace. I know what kind of sinner I am. I know it reasonable. I know, well, I know it better than you. You know what kind of sinner you are. The more I see the reality of the great gap between my righteousness and the righteousness of God, the more I collapse under the goodness of His grace. And the more I experience that, the more I can talk about it clearly. You see how this works, right? This is not a testimony of denying my sinfulness, which is how most of us think a testimony should go. A lot of us think, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I'm a really good person, is a good testimony. But that's not the testimony the Apostle Paul gives. 
He's writing scripture and he says, let me tell you about me. I am the chief of sinners. And he was not kidding. He was not exaggerating for effect. That is how he thought of himself. And he didn't say, I was the chief of sinners and then Jesus found me and now I'm barely a sinner at all. He did not say that. He said, the more I come to understand the righteousness of Christ, the more desperate I become for the grace of God in Christ. I'm not getting better. He probably was actually getting better, but his understanding of the distance between him and God is getting higher and greater. The testimony of the gospel is a testimony of grace, not achievement. The testimony of the gospel is not about how good I'm getting. It's about how God can save even this by the cross of Christ. We are his witnesses. We do not witness to what we do. We witness what he has done for us. We are in a position to testify to the goodness of God's grace, sharing in words and deeds. It's who we are. Sinners saved by grace. Rebels reconciled to the living God. We announce the good news to anyone and everyone, anywhere and everywhere. This is the nature of good news. You can't help but announce it if you have it. Now, the last thing, a uh, sentence on my outline here is we is a very important word here. The mission of the church. We engage in a ministry of reconciliation. We are his witnesses we announce the good news. In the modern age, we tend to individualize everything, but here's the thing about reconciliation. It unindividualizes us. We tend to lay responsibilities on individuals, and we tend to think if, there, if God is going to accomplish his mission in this world, he needs you to do what he says, you, when you are out there all by yourself at your office, you should sell, share the gospel with whoever's sitting next to you. Well, and of course, maybe you should. And of course, if the gospel is good news to you, I don't know how you're going to help yourself. You're going to have to share it. You're going to go, wait, let me tell you what I know. But this is a responsibility we share. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And here's our greatest testimony to this reconciliation, this good news. It is what we do when we are here in this room together on a Sunday morning. That is the biggest witness. It is how we love each other. 
Jesus said, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples. If you love each other, if you love the people you're with in the body. Now, of course, we love them too, but what they witness is what happens in the community of the body of Christ. And they look at, they come in here and they go, wow, look at how these people take care of each other. Look at how these people love each other. Look at how these people forgive each other. Look at how they stay together, even when hmm, that should have caused them something to come apart. Look at that. Look at that. These people must be with Jesus. That's how he was. That's the testimony. We is a very important word here. Also, we each, and we're going to talk about this next time in this subject called activity. We have this mission. What do we do? We, each one, have different skills, different abilities, different inclinations, different personalities, different characters. Some of us love to do hard physical work. Some of us, uh, no thank you. Some of us love to talk. Some of us would literally die if called upon to talk. Uh, so we work together on this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of announcing the good news, this ministry of being the good news people. And here is the single most important way we are together the, the, the good news people. We pray. We recognize who is the provider and who isn't. God is not looking to you to accomplish his mission. He's letting you in on it. You see the difference? God has not given to the church <clears throat> his mission as though we are to carry it out and it's on us. God is carrying it out and he will not fail and you, we, can participate. <laughs> the whole thing is a dance, everyone. The whole thing is a party. The whole thing is a celebration. What is our witness except us going around in the world, dancing with the joy of our salvation in front of people, making them all think we're a little bit insane because we have no right to be that happy. But we know God, our Abba. <laughs> How can we not? How do we resist our feet from dancing? This is what God is doing. We ask the question, what in the world is God doing? God is the one who sends his son to start this party. It cost him. Cost him in ways we cannot even begin to imagine. 
yet we are the recipients of His good grace. (sighs) When we come to the table, this is just the formal part of the party that He set up to say to us, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. He gave us this little, these symbols of His body and His blood as a reminder, as a, so that the gospel itself would always be at the heart of worship. It, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian a hundred years, the good news of his finished work on the cross is the only thing that counts. And so we come to the table. We do it once a month. We come to the table. We come back. We come back. We do this thing. We get so used to it. It loses its meaning. We, we keep on doing it. Why? Because the very nature of the good news is it's something you simply get. There's no ticket you have to buy. There's no good deed you have to perform. You get it. You simply come. You've been invited to the party. And in Christ, you simply come and receive it. Some people like to, you know, make sure they've cleared up all their sin before they come to the table. Let me tell you, you can't clear up all your sin before you come to the table. You come to the table because Jesus has cleared up all your sin already. Even the ones you don't even know. So what you confess is not your promise to quit sinning in some particular way you're struggling with, what you confess is the body and the blood of Christ which purchases your place at this table. We are the good news people. That's our mission. Just be who God has made us to be, the ones who call him Abba, the ones who have been reconciled. And so we come. Father, we give you thanks for your unbelievable goodness to us. Lord, it's impossible to make sense out of it. Yet we know it is a plan of your great glory that we have been purchased to the glory of your grace, to the praise of the glory of your grace. You've reconciled us. You've raised us from the dead. You've brought us in. Lord, I pray that more and more this would so occupy our hearts and minds that we'd be those crazy, happy Christians everywhere we go. People would find it undeniable. They would see it in us all the time. They would hear it from what we say, but they'd see the truth of it in the way we live. Lord, we thank you for the table, for these reminders, for the bread and the wine. We give you thanks. We come before you only because of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.